Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Journal Star meets monthly with community members in Peoria to talk about issues and events important to the city. During last month's meeting, community advocate Sherry Cannon asked about, asked about the Journal Star's coverage of a hashtag MeToo movement to denounce sexual assault and harassment. In the wake of sexual misconduct allegations against Harvey Weinstein and other men in power, the group suggested a roundtable discussion on the issue. Today's podcast features a panel of local women. Soon, the Journal Star will be hosting a panel of men discussing the issue. But today's uh, uh, group is a group of powerful women. Tarana Burke started the Me Too movement 10 years ago. Central to her mission is empowerment through empathy and the importance of connection and healing. Since the calling out of Weinstein and O'Reilly, the movement has grown exponentially. This discussion contributes to the testimonies of sexual harassment or abuse that women have currently presented as a mean to end sexual abuse. It is a statement of no more. Um, so just to start out, I thought we would talk about our experiences a bit. And I'll start with my experiences. Um, when I was a kid, I think I might have been seven years old, this uh, boy drew me into this alleyway, got on top of me, rubbed his body against me. I think that's what he knew as being doing it or whatever. Right. Uh, I went home, I told my mother, she took me to school and we were both punished. Um, the other situation was I was in my home and yeah, this yeah. And the neighbor came in. There's no one else at home and I think I was probably maybe wow, I must have been young, 9 years old, and he came after me and uh, and in this situation I ran out of the house. I just ran out of the house. And the other instance is my cousin in, my, in another house, and I think I was probably 15, 16, and he came in, and the house was empty, and uh, started to touch me all over. And initially, I was just frozen. I was just frozen, like, I know this is wrong. I don't know what to do. And then I um, ran into the bathroom and locked the door, and just, I didn't come out until somebody came. So what are the experiences you all have had? Well, this is Erica Baird, and I think I could relate to that. When my mom remarried, she married into a very abusive relationship, and she married a black man at a time when white women didn't marry black men, and so the police wouldn't support her, no one would support her. But with him came mm -hmm. the nasty stepdad, and it obviously ran in the family because there were some uncles who thought that they could touch 
girls inappropriately. And I, I think when I look a little older, I remember having my teenage step cousin trying to teach me how to kiss when I was eight years old and he was in high school. And so you don't tell anybody because you, like you, you're frozen. And it just perpetuates because there was the game hide and go get it if you played with the boys and mm -hmm. it was just, they could come and grind on you, not mm -hmm. without your clothes, but we didn't know any better because they had been taught the same thing. So mm -hmm. I think that when you really start thinking about just how that makes you feel and the shame that goes with that, mm -hmm. It is designed to take away a woman's power, and it takes away a girl's power, mm -hmm. and it takes away her voice. Absolutely. I think for me, and probably at a young age, I think I may have been touched inappropriately, but the thing that uh, resonates the most in my memory is probably around 14. We had um, an older person that my sister and her best friend had, had cleaned house. He was an older white man. Mm -hmm. And I dare to think that he probably tried something with both of them, but I couldn't understand why nobody warned me about it. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing dishes or something, and he came up, and I remember running out of the house because he didn't actually, you know, he just touched me, and it was the whole nasty idea of this ugly old man mm -hmm. touching me, and I ran. But I was like, why didn't my sister or her friend warn me that this is what this guy did? But each one of them quit it, and they passed it on to each the next person. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, if I even told anybody now as an adult, I don't think I hired anybody else after me, but I, I'm pretty sure I didn't say anything either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's the silence about him? I think the silence is a kind of about you think there's something you did wrong, mm -hmm. that you encouraged it, that you gave some kind of indication that it was appropriate to do. And then it's just kind of embarrassing. It's kind of humiliating because nobody wants to stand out mm -hmm. and be different and everybody says that's that kid that you know somebody touched mm -hmm. so you don't say anything well and it goes to what you said mm -hmm. when you told you got in trouble so there's always the fear of like sherry said what about me and mm -hmm. When I was a little bit older, not much, my dad brought his best friend over, and his best friend, he said, take him back and let him see a picture. I'm in a towel, Dad. I'm not taking him back to see a picture. He's like family. And I can still remember him trying to rip my towel off and trying to kiss me. And when I told my dad, my dad said he would never do that to you because he knows who I am. But he did do it, and nothing happened. And so... I ran out of the house, but my mother knew something was wrong, and my mother came to my defense. Well, that's good. That is really good. I, but I do think that there is something about, um, just as you say, will they believe me? Will I get punished, too? I don't, I, in fact, I don't think I told anyone about my cousin or the neighbor. My situation was, I was a freshman in college, and... I was very excited to have a job in a women's clothing store because there were three in my family in college and there wasn't a lot of money. And um, it was owned by a man and a woman. It was a very upscale store. I thought, wow, I've really arrived. I can get my Christmas here, my 
sister gifts. And about three weeks into it, I had to work with the husband of the couple. He literally chased me around the store all evening. You look really cute in this. Look, you know, this kind of tight. You've got a nice figure. You'd look nice in this. And putting a necklace over my neck and, you know, handling her in my back. And I literally outmaneuvered him for the entire evening. Um, he, he just said so many suggestive things. I went home. I told my mom and dad um, that they didn't have enough sales, that I was the lowest man on the totem pole, so I wasn't needed, and I never told anyone. Never. Mm. Probably for 25 years until I told my daughters. Did you quit the job that night? Yes, I did. I never went back. Um, I I also grew up in a generation where you didn't question perhaps the adults in your life. Mm. And I don't know, and I think what you said, it was the, I was embarrassed. I felt ashamed. And then you're thinking, well, would I give off vibes that this man would think that I'd Mm want to be receptive Mm -hmm. to that? Mm -hmm. So you're questioning yourself. So that was mine. My situation is very similar. Um, Ann Lading Ferguson, I remember growing up, and I was, I don't know, in my teens, a favorite uncle that um, we were very close. And I remember just very inappropriate touching. I remember um, he was very close to the family, and no one would reply to my... Um, sharing any information that I just didn't want to be around him. And I remember waiting actually until my father passed away or my mother to tell my siblings. And I remember them supporting me in a way, but in essence also questioning, why did you wait so long? And I remember thinking because no one was listening at the time I was telling. And yet I still didn't feel heard at the time it was coming out. Um, I don't know. You just feel really awkward when that's your own family. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and there's just a feeling of violation, and mm-hmm. you feel disgusting, even if it's not the full act. You still feel so violated and so helpless, almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the reasons, you know, why I really wanted us to talk about this locally, because I didn't want it appeared to be this was a Hollywood thing. No, I agree with you. And that it was not something that happens every day to somebody, to some girl, to some yes. woman in Peoria more than likely. Mm-hmm. And and the one thing about my experience as an adult, and it hasn't been that long ago, my husband passed away in, in 2010, and I was having a lot of tension, and I remember going to a a chiropractor and he had been referred by a good friend of mine and it was so subtle but he's working on my neck and your hand has no business being down any lower than my neck or my shoulders and so he just kind of laid his hand there and it was kind of quick but it was something that I knew that this was just going to be the start of it so I never went back again and I don't even I never talked about it to anybody because it was so subtle. And it almost was like, are you making a big deal out of something that really wasn't something? So I think we second guess ourselves mm-hmm. as women also. We don't we don't mm-hmm. we don't take our to intuition. Come on. <clears throat> we don't is, trust our own instincts. No. 
and I would say most of the time women are right on on this, is something feels uncomfortable right from the beginning, it probably is. Well, yeah. I'm glad that you asked me and you're bringing this to Peoria because I am a foster mom and I specialize in teenage girls who have experienced sexual abuse and there is direct correlation between sexual abuse, children in foster care, and how many children get caught up in human trafficking, being pimped out, get in abusive relationships because when you have no voice, mm -hmm. when you don't speak, when you think that you're nothing because of how it made you feel and there's no one to build you back up and tell you you can fight this, you can be somebody, you can still be successful, the pattern continues and it happens every day. And just give them a safe place. Give them a safe place. Yeah. I told Portia one of the reasons I wanted to be on this is that just what you mentioned. This is everyday women. <laughs> this is all of us. It just, this small group. And this is happening everywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, what strikes me is the, the sense of, you know, I can't tell anyone, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and I, I remember thinking that I felt like I had been soiled, you know, that I was nasty somehow. Um, and that I, you know, I used to tell my sisters a lot, but this, I know, I, I couldn't tell them that. I didn't even tell my younger sister to be careful of this cousin. Now I think of it. Well, and it even continues when you become an adult, because if you experience something, you know you don't talk about it. Because mm -hmm. if you talk about it, depending on how powerful they are, it's you who lose. Mm -hmm. And so women have livelihoods. They're single mothers. They're wives. They don't want it to look like they were at work just trying to do their job and a man came on to them and they fought back and it's his word against her word. Now her marriage is in question. Her family's looking at her. Her job is in jeopardy. These, this happens every day, everywhere yes. in America. And it's hard, it's scary, and it's why women don't speak. You're right. Absolutely. Well, there's, there's such victim shaming, even women on women, <clears throat> making the victim feel like somehow they're responsible for this man's violent, inappropriate um, act. Mm -hmm. Very true. As an African-American woman, I wrote a, a, a letter, actually it was an article, but it's, it's in Community Word, it's November issue, about Harvey Weinstein and, and hashtag me too. And when it started going on social media, and it was on Facebook, and everybody was challenging you if in fact you could agree that something like that had happened to do it. And it took me a minute to do hashtag me too. But then I did it. And then I wondered, I said, what was your hesitation from? And as I thought about it, it was because I was concerned about the how somebody else was going to perceive what my hashtag meant. Mm -hmm. That I knew what it meant. I knew I hadn't actually been raped no. or violated, you know, 
in 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 a worse way than I was, but I but your perception of what my hashtag meant concerned me, mm-hmm. and so I struggled with that. And then I kept thinking more about it. And then as a black woman, it I realized the way I felt about that is the same way I feel when people say that we as black people use the race card when we know we've been discriminated against but then people say oh there you go again you're always trying to take it to the race issue but so many times it is and it's that same feeling that you get as a woman when somebody has has done something that you're not comfortable with, whether it's just suggested like when I've been in meetings with one-on-one with men and they've touched themselves. And I'm like, come on, dude, everybody knows it's there. Why are you touching yourself? But it's like you just, it puts you in a place of being really uncomfortable and then you feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So you just ignore it and pretend Mm -hmm. like he ain't there playing with himself. And it, it still goes back to fear because when you look at the power base, the power base is still men. Yes. And so, depending on how you speak up, it can affect your career. Mm-hmm. It could affect your opportunities in other areas where you look to work. And that's why so many women stay silent. And the reason my daughter said, Mom, what are you going to talk about and why? I said, I'm going to talk about what happened to me so it doesn't happen to you. So what's happened to my daughters don't happen to someone else, my foster daughters, so that we can stop it because we as women can vote. We can, Mm -hmm. if judges don't, put penalties on men who rape and men who get away like Harvey get away with this and they don't convict them, we vote you out. It's time to stop hashtagging and start voting. I want a hashtag too, but my hashtag comes with a vote. Mm -hmm. And it's just important because the prison system is filled with women. And when I do prison ministry, almost every girl I talk to in prison is in prison because of a man, and almost 75% of them experience some form of sexual abuse. Absolutely. By the way, I think I didn't introduce myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Portia Adams, and um, I think you're absolutely right. And and it's interesting to me, because when I first looked at the Me Too hashtag, uh, I was thinking, you know... Uh, all these other people and what they're experiencing. And it took a minute for me to remember my experiences. And, you know, uh, we may not be talking about, you know, the the experience of rape, which happens to one in four of us, or, or sexual assault and things like that. But the sexualization of us, that's kind of an intellectual way of saying it, but the all of a sudden you're looking at my boobs and my ass um, is um, it's it's a it's an assault anyway, you know? Absolutely. I've gone from a human being to someone you can handle and nobody's gonna be upset about it. Right. right. Well, there's a, there's a such an acceptance in our culture. It's just become so pervasive. Just the little comments as a woman walks away that you hear as another woman, you know, you know, gosh, great boobs, you know. Well, would you say that about a man? No. So don't say things. And then, of course, the minute I say that, they say, well, she's just too touchy about things, you know. She's just wired too tight. 
True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. One's looking at her anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some... I didn't like it when I was young. <laughs> so I, I think it's it's such an so pervasive in our society across the world. And I think um, Erica's right on when you talk about a patriarchal society, mm-hmm. which yes. is what the United States is built on. And so men make the rules. And men are the judges. Men are the usually in the power positions on your job. So they pretty much do run the show. But I was so energized from the election last night, the, the, the votes that came out and the repudiation of D. Rump, Trump, that I'm saying, you know, I think women are really taking their power back. I hope and so. I, and I really think that we have to continue you know, resisting and speaking out and speaking truth to power. And this is our way of doing that today, and I'm so excited that we're doing this. You know, one of my favorite quotes, I looked it up, it was in a speech by Martin Niemeyer, and just the excerpt, it says, when they came for the trade unionists, I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. <laughs> then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Mm. It's Very the truth. Right. Almost, yeah. almost <laughs> all of us talked about we didn't tell anybody, right. no. and so it happened to somebody else potentially because we were afraid to speak. And that's why I'm very proud to sit with you ladies because it does take courage to speak out. And I think that at a certain age, you just get tired of being afraid. You get tired of saying, I apologize Mm -hmm. for me being afraid. I Mm -hmm. can change. I may not be able to change the world, but I can change the world for somebody. And that's what we're doing today. It's that Fannie Lou Hamer moment. I'm sick and tired of being sick Sick and and tired. tired. Exactly. I think, though, too, there's a confidence that comes. I don't know if it's um, with experience, with maturity, with wisdom. I don't know. I'm older, so. But I remember going through a period and thinking, you know, I'm just not going to talk about it. And then I got to a point where I don't want to say I didn't care, but it was that there was a, a wisdom and a confidence in me that I would manage or deal with whatever I needed to deal with saying. Yes. And I think that, or there's a strength within. Maybe, you know, maybe I started to see strength in other women around me. I'm not sure what really clicked for me, but there was a there was a shift in my own thinking. Otherwise, I don't think I would have said anything to begin mm-hmm. with. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you guys had anything like that or, or, ex- or your experiences were different. I think that... Um you know, seeing my great niece go on to college, a lot of things went off. A lot of bells went off. And I'm thinking, what kind of protection does she need, you know? Uh, 
will she know what's dangerous, what's a, kind of a dangerous situation? Um, so I think that that was part of it. And But I, I am surprised that it took this long. Mm -hmm. You know, being a foster mom is really what made me more vocal because probably 90% of the girls that I came in contact with, they have statistics that it's much lower, but the reality is it's much lower because women don't tell. And I started working with other foster parents and you have to tell them, you have to be comfortable talking about sexual abuse mm -hmm. because if you're not t comfortable, the child cannot get the healing that they need mm -hmm. so that they are not a victim their whole life. We take away when, when we're comfortable talking about it, we take away the power of the perpetrator mm -hmm. and we give the power Absolutely. back to the victim because we allow them to heal because healing comes when you have a voice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and someone who cares about your voice mm -hmm. along with it. I, I told Portia, this is Diane Pointer, that I'm definitely the oldest person in this group. And but for, you look good. Girl. Okay, well, thanks. <laughs> Takes a lot more work now. Um, Fifty years later, or more, it's the same issues. Fifty years. Girls are going through the same thing I went through, and I'm frustrated by that. And I want to change. I think for me, especially after we elected a self-professed sexual abuser yeah. and knowing that 53% of white women voted yeah. for this man that just for me it was, it was like a, a wake up call and it was like you know we have got to call this out and we've got to hold people accountable so I challenge my white friends like how's it working for you now come on well we, it's, it's not well, locker room talk Excuse me. Well, the other thing is, too, is when you say that you vote for a party that stands for Christian beliefs, there's nothing Christian in mm -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. no. And I vote for Christian beliefs, mm -hmm. but there's no way no. that there was anything Christian that mm -hmm. is happening today. Um, so um, I wanted to ask you a couple of things. Uh, what do you think it'll take to end sexual harassment? I still go back to judges need to hold the perpetrators accountable. There need to be tougher sentences. When men rape women and they get out and they rape again, when men sexually harass women at companies, not only should they be fired, they should be tried. It is time for us to hold the perpetrators accountable because when people see that there's accountability for mm -hmm. your actions, actions change. Mm -hmm. But as long as you continue to get away with it because the powers that be allow you to, mm -hmm. it's not going to change. And women, we need to vote. We need to vote for ourselves. We need to vote for mm -hmm. the women coming behind us. And if you're afraid to speak for yourself, vote for your daughter or your granddaughter. Mm -hmm. Because all of us are talking mm -hmm. and we're seeing 
generation, just mm -hmm. like you said, generations, 50 years later, it's the same yes. thing. 50 years later, it will still be the same thing if we don't make a change. One of the things, though, that I think about is I think the accountability is really important, but I think about what do you do on the front end? You know, is it more um, situations like this? Do we all have to talk about it more? Do we have to communicate as um, women? Do we need to educate more? Um, and, and maybe the education that we're doing isn't working. Maybe we need to look at a different format for sharing that kind of story, if you will, mm -hmm. with uh, young girls or even teenagers. But I mean, they're experiencing things earlier and earlier, I think, even than what we did. I think one of the things we also have to be uh, very cognizant about is not do we just teach our daughters. We our have sons. to teach our sons. Yep, I would agree. We have got to get that message early on because society is going to tell them another thing. But when you, it starts at the very early age of mm -hmm. how do you teach your sons mm -hmm. well, to respect women's bodies. Mm -hmm. and, well, mm -hmm. and it goes back to TV. Everything on TV perpetuates sexuality. And mm -hmm. so when a girl experiences something like that, well, I just want to be a Kardashian. I can get famous like that. Mm -hmm. But only a few get famous like that. The rest of them just live as victims. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, kind of, I truly believe this is a man's problem. It is. Yes. Okay. And we ladies can talk about this to death, but men need to step up. I think men, though feel in a way that they're not bad people. It's somebody, it's another man. I didn't rape her, so I'm not a bad man. So I think that we have given men a bye, and I think we've done that for too long. Given them a pass, mm -hmm. exactly. Well, and when other right. men hold men accountable, it changes. Yes, that's exactly it. When, when yes. you feel uncomfortable, in your comfort zone, it starts to change. I, I'm going to be a dissenter here only because there's some really good men out there that don't think that way, right? Good. So yeah. the question is, is we won't, don't want to put everyone in that category, but there is a majority, no. right? So what do we do with those ones? How do we how do we engage those ones that think like we do and have the respect and dignity for women? And I don't know how well, we do that. And that's what I was saying is if the good men make the men who are making the wrong choices feel uncomfortable, if they're courageous, mm -hmm. then it changes because it's more powerful when your peer mm -hmm. says it's not right yeah, than when the person that when the victim is saying it's not right. So I agree with you. There are some very good men who are a hundred percent against this, mm -hmm. and they're silent. And they're silent. We had we've elected a self-professed sexual assaulter. 50% of Congress or more are Republican, and they say it was just, what they say? was what kind boys, of locker room? And, boys, and boys will be boys. And these are elected officials that have winked and turned their eye against mm -hmm. this. So I'm going to stick with it's a man's problem because mm -hmm. men are in power mostly. Mm -hmm. Well, in men in power, if it happens to their daughters, they'll tell them to suck it up so that it doesn't mm -hmm. affect their power position mm -hmm. if it's the wrong man. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. One of the things I was thinking about, too, is um, 
having a meeting with my um, family. We haven't done this before. And, uh, you know, I'm the social worker in the crew. Oh, I'm sorry. So is Anne. Anne is a, is a wonderful social worker. You do claim social work, right? I do. Thank you. And uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, we need just to sit down and, you know, have this kind of family meeting where we talk about what has happened. What are the stories that we haven't told each other? And um, I really want to do that. I think it's, uh, it's really important. And I also know that I have a thousand reasons why I don't want to do it. <laughs> right. right. But I think it's, uh, I think that face-to-face <laughs> part, and I kind of agree, it is a man's job. You get a good man saying no, that'll be so wonderful. A good man who says, why are you saying that? Why are you treating her like that? That is going to mean something. Mm-hmm. Another problem that we have, statistics say that most people are raped by somebody they know. Mm-hmm. So that's the issue with it being your favorite uncle. Mm-hmm. And this uncle's still going to come around. So that's why we, we stay silent. So how do we, how do we get past that? How do we get past that fear of, of breaking up the family mm-hmm. or causing strife in exactly. the family? Exactly. You know what? It should cause strife in the family. It should. Because it's unacceptable. Well, it's inappropriate. Right? It is unacceptable. Well, it's, it's an assault. It is. Well, mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. I think that it took me until I was in my 30s to forgive my dad for not believing me over his best friend. Mm-hmm. Did he stay mm-hmm. his best friend? Yeah, he stayed his best friend. Oh. Did he come around you all the rest of the time? He didn't come around me. Okay, your mother didn't allow that. My mother that. shut that down. Good. Go, Mom. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Smart woman. She was a beast. <laughs> I love okay, um, I want to ask you, what message? We've done a lot of talking and really important things, and we've already sent out some powerful messages. Is there another message that you'd like to send out to the audience uh, about uh, sexual harassment and abuse of women? I think my message would would be, especially when it comes to your children, believe them. Mm -hmm. They don't make that up because Mm -hmm. that's a hard thing to even say, let alone pretend it happens. And I'm not saying it may not happen, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, you need to believe your children when they tell you someone's touched them inappropriately, someone doesn't make them comfortable. And when you even see their behavior changing, when they don't want to be around, something's going on. Mm-hmm. And as a parent or a grandparent or just a auntie, you need to be able to know those signals mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and give them a safe place, mm-hmm. give them somewhere that they know that they'll be safe, that they can tell you the truth. In Peoria, I would like to give a shout-out to the Center for Prevention of Abuse because mm-hmm. they offer free counseling for women who can't afford to go get sexual abuse counseling or abuse counseling. Mm-hmm. Because if a lot of women, they don't believe their children or they don't have the courage to leave the man because their self-worth is so low that they will accept it happening to their children because they're so afraid of being alone because they didn't get the support and the counseling they needed to get whole themselves. So it's free at the Center for Prevention of Abuse. Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to say, too. There's so many services out there that you need to 
speak up if someone's not listening. I think, you know, keep telling someone until someone listens. I think that's important to know, ask what services are available in Peoria, because I think there's lots of support groups. There's different service um, arenas like Center for Abuse. I think that's a, a great organization. Um, I just think that we need to make sure that they know what services or services are available um, to get the help, whether they're here or if it's even a relative of someone who doesn't live in Peoria. We need to know what's available so that they they can get the help that they need and get on um, to a healthier outlook. And so with, with what Sherry was saying, to believe them, I think just speak up, yeah. have courage, and vote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're not alone. You're not alone. You're thing. not alone. Yeah. Um, I think you need to fight, too. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking maybe we need to just give them a quick kick somewhere that's going to make them hurt really <laughs> bad. I thought several times if I was the person when I was 18, I was always kind of a tomboy and... I was never very intimidated by men. Mm -hmm. My husband says I have a really healthy ego. <laughs> but now, if that man had done that to me, I'd have kicked him in the balls and taken him to the floor. I would not have messed. He, he would have known I was there. And I felt very differently. And it's interesting because I had this conversation with my daughter last week and my granddaughter. My granddaughter is a freshman in high school. She's 14. And it, it came up about this. And I shared the story when I was 18, and I watched my granddaughter. And I, you know, I said, "Zoe, you need to know about these things." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and my daughter said, "I never heard that story." But do you? And know? I never told her, so right. I never prepared her. So but, what took me so long? I don't know. But you know, another way to kick them is in their pocketbooks. There you go. <laughs> because if they lose That's their position of power, when you when you hit them where they feel it, like things that. change. That's even more powerful than a kick right there. I, th I, I support both of you on that. <laughs> I was just I was going to say there's also too. there's probably going to be people out there that may, maybe doesn't have the views that we do, but I think for those bystanders out there, don't be a bystander. Mm. Speak That's up. That's a very good absolutely speak up and support. Exactly. I think the we're complicit a lot of times mm -hmm. where we hear that joke that we're uncomfortable with, and we kind of see other people. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, I was able to say to the person later on, mm, no, yeah. that was not, it made people uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable, and you wouldn't want to do that to me. I think that's important because sometimes people don't have the courage you have, and you have to be your brother or your sister's keeper. Mm -hmm. So when you have that voice that you know other people won't use or is afraid to use, we do need to use our voice. Yeah. I think that's why I like to write so much, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I think I'm writing for people that feel this and don't know how to say it or don't have the courage to say it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very critical. I think that's good, Anne. Thank you. I also think, I, I think that was excellent. And uh, I also think that there is such a feeling of, and, you know, you get angry. You, like these things come up and you face them. You get angry, and that's okay. But there's such a sense to me of really seriously empowerment. Mm -hmm. yes. You know? Yes. Uh, Diane, you said you would knock him to the floor. Oh, I, would, I would be very we are, yeah. Exactly. Kick him in the balls. Kick, uh, sorry, <laughs> kick him in the balls and knock him to the floor. And But there's such power. The other side of this is so good to get to the other side, right? 
there of is not power. being ashamed, not feeling like oh, people are going to hate me when I say my, you know, my uncle or my f dad's friend did this. There's empowerment in not caring because you know that you're paying it forward. You're yeah. you're protecting yes, someone coming behind yes. you. If I if I just look back over. African-American history, yes. women fighting for the vote. Mm -hmm. A woman spoke at an event last year, and she was a vice president of finances, of financial services for a city, city corp, and she said that she did her thesis, she was a PhD on women in poverty. The direct correlation to women in poverty was men in power. Almost a hundred percent of the time, there was a direct tie. Women couldn't work at a certain, mm -hmm. when they, at a certain point in that decade, if you got married, you quit. You know, so there was He's always pregnant, you you, there was mm -hmm. always something to silence us. And with with money is power, and women who use their voice to empower other women, we will start to see a shift in pay. I work, you know, when I go into work and I see all of these women vice presidents and women group presidents, don't get me wrong. All of my mentors have been good white men, good black mm -hmm. men who cared about me. But when I see the other men who have made it happen for these women, mm. it gives you the courage to say, she's <laughs> making a way for me. I need to make a way for someone else. Absolutely. Well, um, I have learned so much. I feel very supported, and I feel in awe of you all, and uh, and also empowered to kick him in the balls. No, and um, this has been a great, great talk. You know, we are strong women. There's no fear. There's no need to be pitied or anything like that, because we've come through, and we are doing things to 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 decrease the amount of sexual harassment abuse that's happening around us. Thank you very much. Thank you for, thank you. for having us. And thank you for the idea, Sherry. Absolutely. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.